0: In a 31 week series called The Story, which follows selected passages from Genesis to Revelation just to help us see the big picture. You know, the, the story arc of God and humanity. Now, the whole church is reading along one chapter at a time. So, if you're new to Hills this week, you're really welcome to join along. We are up to chapter seven. We we sadly have run out of books, but you can get the story from Kindle. And and so you, you won't miss out. You get it from Amazon. And so that's a good way for you to do that if you want to. Here's the story so far from the beginning. All right. Number one. God created a perfect world, including us. We are image bearers of his. We have value. We have purpose. Number two, humans rebelled because they wanted to be like God. And and that was the moment when sin entered the world. We're grappling with that still today. Number three, humans were banished from Eden. And because of that sin, God and, and us and humans were separated. And the relationship was broken. Number four, God had no desire to leave it like that. And so his plan to redeem the world began. Immediately. Number five, he made a covenant with Abraham and Sarah to start a new nation that was going to bless all nations. And so we're tracking with that nation of Israel. Number six, the family of Israel ended up in Egypt. They were um, escaping from famine. Number seven, while they were there in Egypt, their numbers exploded. This is when the nation kind of began in, in that sense. But there was also a new pharaoh down the line that didn't know the history of um, Joseph and, and Israel, and so they made them slaves, they enslaved them. Number eight, God calls Moses, through a demonstra- and through a demonstration of power, he rescues this new nation of God called Israel from slavery, and he leads them out of Egypt towards the promised land that he had told Abraham about 700 years earlier, or something like that. Number nine, they get to Mount Sinai. This is just, uh, my, my view of Mount Sinai is really kind of, just changed a little bit as i've done the preparation for these sermons and and, because it's while they're there that he really taught them it was for 12 months he really did show them this beautiful vision of what it would be to be god's people what it would be like and how they were to be number 10 last week pastor adam helpfully took us through the 40 years of of wandering and you know, through the wilderness after Israel failed to trust God in that moment where they needed to cross over into that promised land. Remember, God's heart and plan are for restoration. That's his purpose. And this is what we should be seeing in this story arc as we read through. The Bible really is from Garden of Eden to Garden of Eden and God's restoration plan unfolds in the middle. And to be honest, we find ourselves... Kind of at the end of that. Really, we're in the last chapter of the Bible. I mean us today, now. I hope I haven't confused you. I mean, life, as in where we are in history. The chapter we're reading this week is chapter 7 from the story. And it's basically the short version of the book of Joshua. Now, you, if you were here this time last year, you know we did a whole series on Joshua, right? It went for eight weeks. If you, no one's nodding, so it mustn't have been that good. But... <laughs> Needless to say, I'm back at Joshua already, only 12 months later. and uh, you know, But what I want to do this week is not drop so much down into the detail. I, want to stay, I just want to sit in the big picture of Joshua and see how that applies to us today. And we have to keep in mind that, that big picture, because the salvation story of the Israelites and their promised new life with God very much points to Jesus and our salvation. I hope you can see that in there as, as you're reading along. It points to our salvation and our new life in him. Now, let me be clear. The story of Israel's deliverance, it is an allegory. It, it, it isn't, okay? It is history, right? This is real. But it is a great picture of God's salvation plan that applies to us today. Let me explain this to you. Because like the Israelites, we too were in slavery. Bondage, you could say. You know, to the, when we weren't with God. The sin holds us in that bondage. It has control over us and and it condemned us. And like Israel, God loves us. He hears our cry and he desires for us to be free. So he saves us from bondage through his power. Only his power is not through plagues like it was for the Israelites. Instead, he sent his his son. And the word says, his beloved son. And his power came through what he did on the cross for us. And Jesus was the, the, the perfect sacrifice That's why we sometimes refer to him as the lamb. In fact, we were singing those words this morning. Awesome songs this morning, by the way, and they fit in perfectly with the message. This time, though it's a final sacrifice for us, it's once and for all, there's no need for for more blood to be shed to atone for us. Remember, blood has to be shed to atone for sin. That's what Jesus did. Just like God defeated once and for all all the Egyptians at the Red Sea, you know, so that the Israelites, they, they could have that real freedom from their enemies. They didn't have to look back over their shoulders anymore and worry. God defeated them at the Red Sea. It's the same for us. We too now live in freedom. God has the, the victory over the devil, over the power of sin. And, and the, at the, that's what happened at the cross. And that freedom is for us to, hate, to take a hold of now and live in. Can you see the stories that align Like the Israelites at Mount Sinai, God gives us his instruction on how to live for him. It's it's the Bible we're reading each week. It's that beautiful vision for us, that new life that he has, that he wants for us. It points us back to the way we were created to live in the first place. It points us back to the garden. Actually, it points us ahead to to, uh, eternity as well. We receive his instruction and help and power to take hold of it. God dwells with the Israelites in the tabernacle, wherever they go. Today, he dwells with us wherever we go. However, that's just the beginning. There is so much more to happen in your life. There's more to happen in the life of of the nation of Israel, which we start reading about, or you hopefully read this week in Joshua, in chapter 7. There's more to happen in our life even after God saved us. There's a whole new life to occupy. That's today's message. But I think the problem is that Christians often get stuck. Again, we can look at what happened to the the Israelites. They got stuck wandering, didn't they, in the the desert. And I suggest to you today that that's often our problem. We look to the other side of that Jordan, and it is scary, and it is hard, and there is... You know, there's a lot of unknown, but and we forget what God has already done, and Pastor Adam helpfully showed us this last week. We forget what God has already done for us, and and everything comes at us straight away. We forget those things. We see the cost of of the battles ahead, and, and we don't move over to the transformed life that God is calling us to, that his word calls us to. Too many of us spend our Christian life just wandering in the wilderness. And that beautiful vision of the new life he has for us doesn't become our reality. And let's be honest, sometimes the wilderness looks like a safer option. looks like an easier way. And even worse, sometimes you look all the way back to Egypt. All the way back. But there is a life ahead of us that's going to take sacrifice. It's going to be costly. It's going to take courage. But most of all, it's going to take complete trust in God. But here's the thing. That life that God wants us to take hold of is the best life. This is life to the full that Jesus talks about. He used those very words. That's why I came, for you to have that life. It's the rewarding life. But I think too many of us miss out. Look, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, what I'm talking about is the many difficult battles that lie ahead of us if we are actually going to take a hold of that life that God saved us for one small part at a time like the Israelites had to. But the thing is, you can stay in that wilderness and, and, and run from those battles. Okay, yes, you're still in God's grace You know, this is not supposed to be about working for your grace. That's already happened. God already saved you and delivered you. But we miss out on the life that he has for us. And and actually, quite frankly, so do the people around us. We miss out on the long-term gain that comes from that short-term, let's use the word, pain. (laughs) These battles are varied, and there's a lot of them. And I wrote down a few today that just came to mind this week when I thought about it. What are the battles that I have to face? And I hope they help you today. These are the new life battles to conquer. The first one is the one over selfishness and pride. This is a big battle. And, and it's, a, it's probably a familiar point. You think, Nathan, you keep preaching on that point. Well, when we get it, I'll stop, I guess. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll keep preaching. To be honest, the vision God gives us in his word and the example Jesus showed us of perfect love for each other starts here. Because the love God asks for us is not focused inward on me. It's really focused outwards on others. It's it's radically different. This is the thing. It's radically different from our natural human selfish state. It's the big one. And this battle, to be honest, isn't won in a moment. You know, this is not a Jericho battle that just takes seven laps around and the walls fall and we're done. This is a lifelong one. It it actually requires you to spend time on it. it. You actually have to think about it and process why this is the way I am and how I can change. It actually requires sacrifice from you it requires putting others ahead of us it requires us not having to be right all the time isn't that one a hard one sometimes don't we just love to be right yeah Yeah. (laughs) it requires us to submit to each other and actually just be okay with that um i am talking husbands and wives yes i'm talking everyone though It requires us to not have to be first or second or even third. This is not merely sucking it up and staying quiet. This is not about sugarcoating our words to appear to be loving. This is a battle for the heart to not be stone but to be flesh. For the first response to come to us to be the compassionate one Not the second response, the first response. To be generous, to lean heavily on empathy. You know, I'm hoping I'm describing Jesus in many ways. This is a battle we fight until the heart naturally loves others really well when the heart desires for others to succeed ahead of us, when we naturally feel the pangs of compassion when others are struggling, even if those others are people that may be hard to love, when we no longer have that inner need to tell others, you're wrong and I'm right, when anger is no longer our norm but rather very, 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 very rare. And, and I don't just mean like rage anger, I mean passive anger. I mean grumpy as well. When, when we love being generous to others more than ha- what we receive, we're more concerned about what we're giving than what we're receiving, whether it be physical or practical or even just emotional. When our words primarily build people up and not tear them down, when we just love to be generous and not give reluctantly, when we have love for those who don't have our faith, who don't look or sound like us, who don't vote like us. That one seems to be a hard one these days, who don't agree with us, even perhaps even people he may may be opposed to us. That This is a battle for each and every one of us that God points to in the new life that he has for us. And it's a battle, I'm just telling you now, it can be won. But remember I said it's a lifelong thing. Because when we defeat pride and selfishness, the, vis- the beautiful vision God has for his people, it, can, it becomes reality. True loving relationships and true loving communities, they shine brightly in our dark world. And doesn't this world need light at the moment? Yeah. And the life to the full Jesus has planned for us is not just a vision. It's not just a pipe dream. It's not just what we say to each other when we read the word and agree, yeah, 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 that's right, that's what we need to be. It actually is real for us. And I assure you, this is a lifelong quest that I am still on. But I think it's a good one and it's it's a worthy one. Just this week, I had a moment when someone lovingly pointed out a blind spot in me that maybe I didn't realise. And inevitably... That selfish part wanted to be defensive. That was sadly the first thing that came up. That selfish part just wanted to be hurt. The battle began. And the reasons why I was right surfaced to my mind and maybe some leaked out of my mouth. But I've had to learn the hard way that these unexpected battles can be amazing opportunities. And so I took a deep breath. I started praying and asking God to show me, is there something in this? And and he did, and there was. And it is really hard because that selfish part that we're talking about keeps saying, what about me? Don't you know I do good? This hurts, it feels unfair, I'm going to push back, or worse, I'm going to run away. The wilderness looks real good at that moment. But the truth was, continuing down that way would be a battle lost. Do you see what I'm saying? The life to the full would be diminished. So with God's help, I move forward. I slowly accept this blind spot in my life is real and reach out in love and start to use this new awareness and, and, and bring some healing and let love flow. A, a battle for me. It will probably take some time, but I can, see, I can see hope in this. I can see the victory. Notice I'm not having victory over somebody else or something that's coming against me. I'm having victory on this one, of this battle right here God is shaping me through these moments and it was hard but it's so good the second battle is addictions and and sin in our life and the reason God hates sin is because firstly it generates distance between us and him and second it just holds us back from the life he wants for us you know we might have this picture of God that He's just standing there with that big ruler ready to whack you all the time and he's getting some kind of joy out of that and he's not, he just wants you to have the, the life that he, that, of that beautiful vision that he gave us in his word. It hinders us and God doesn't want you hindered. And you know the battles in your life around this. Some of the sin in your life probably flows from, you know, maybe that first one we talked about, pride and selfishness. So start there if that's you. But if you found yourself stuck in patterns, God's pointing to that battle in your life and asking you to take it on with him because with his help, all things are possible. And I might add, he's given you the help of the church when the church is doing really well and it's healthy. It can be a beautiful thing when you're struggling. Can I just say, this is not a church that's here to heap shame on you. We're not here to condemn you. We've all battled with our our addictions and, and these things in our life in varying ways. We are in this together. That's the way I want you to see us and me. We're in this together. We're here to support each other, to help each other, to encourage each other. And yes, to lovingly hold each other accountable at times because we see the joy in winning these battles and taking ground in our, in our new life with God. Sometimes we slip backwards. Sometimes it's too hard. And I understand, but let's not go back to the wilderness. The Bible doesn't call you to confession and repentance, to heap shame on you and condemn you. This is about real transformation and the, the best life that God has in store for you. The third one is the battle to heal from, from past hurts and, and pain. The atonement wasn't just a spiritual victory. It, it extends more further than, than that. It extends into, your, into our physical bodies and our emotions as well. That's where the healing flows to. It might take a long time. It might not be instantaneous, but I fully believe God wants you to find victory from those things that that's to still hurt. That still scar you. And as much as I believe in coming to the altar and crying out for God's hand of healing in that moment, I believe in that. I also believe He gives each other, gives us each other to help with that healing process. He also gives us trained and wise people, wise counselors and pastoral carers. Many of us have experienced some deep hurt in our life. I know it. Many of you have shared it with me, with tears in your eyes. It can come from many places, from families and marriages. It can come from even your, your time at school as a child. And yes, sadly, it can come from, sometimes from the church. I know. Because even in the church, broken people can hurt people, sadly. But that battle, for some of you, remains. And there is a time when you have to move forward with God. I think that he wants you to. God is a healer. It's in his loving nature. If you feel stuck on this one, I want you to see me and I'll do my best to help. But I know God wants to help. The fourth one is the battle to restore broken relationships. And I guess it's linked to the one we just covered. But I'm just going to zoom in a little bit now. Because this one causes us to flee like anything. Who here... Loves conflict. That's what I thought. See, I asked it the reverse way around now, so if the hands don't go up, it's good. <laughs> All right, who here doesn't like conflict? Let's be honest. Restoring broken relationships, it's a painful one. Most people don't like to admit to the part they've played in a broken relationship. We can always admit to the part the other person played. We're pretty good at that. But we have to actually start with ourselves. Approaching someone and admitting we did the wrong thing and asking for forgiveness takes courage. You know, we look at Joshua. Okay, he was fighting physical battles. We get that. I'm using it as an example for us. But how many times did God say, you need need courage in this new life? On the other side, forgiving someone takes courage as well because to really forgive someone means we no longer hold that against them. We, we won't do anything anymore against that person, even behind their back. In fact, it goes deeper. Over time, forgiveness needs to, to go deeper than the outward actions. It, it's, it has to translate into the heart which seems impossible at times, but again I say all things are possible with God. It means that a little place inside of us that wants that person who hurt us to not do well has to change, and that's hard. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we don't have healthy boundaries, by the way. Forgiveness is not about staying in abusive relationships, but we must honour the forgiveness that you received from Jesus. And the way we honour that is how we forgive others. Because when we don't, we're kind of cheapening or trashing the forgiveness God gave us. You know, who are we? Who are we that God would forgive me? So quickly and graciously, that I wouldn't pass that back to others. To quote a young Swedish girl, how dare we? There are many other battles, of course. You'll move on from one to the next for most of your life. But as you move with God and overcome each one, you do take ground. You do find peace in your life. You do find that new life you do start to realize the the beautiful vision that God has for his people. The Israelites had to face dozens, perhaps even hundreds, of small battles to fully take hold of their promised new life. Uh, It's the same for us. There's a thousand small battles ahead of you, just one at a time, to take on that new life. And you know, I hope you're seeing, you understand what I'm saying. I'm not talking about battles where we're putting the sword out to people. I'm talking about... The, the life that Jesus painted for us. So what are the, some of the practical lessons from Joshua that can help us? Because Joshua discovered, as Moses did, that God's way is the answer. The people kept trying to say, no, we want to do it our way. And God kept saying, no, for goodness sake, do it my way and you'll find something. So point number one here, when we look at the practical lessons, is God's way is the life of obedience. Is what it says in Joshua chapter 1. And I think Mark quoted from Deuteronomy this morning a similar words: Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you, that you might be successful wherever you go. And again, I ask you to see a picture of a God who wants the best for you. And this is why he gives you the way. And he says, follow it even if we don't always really understand. When God says, go, we go. When he says, "Don't, don't do that, we don't do that. When he says, that desire you have is not from me, you know it's coming from a sinful place in you, we don't embrace that desire. Even when it's really hard, and yes, even when the world says you can. God's way is always the best way. Look, church, we've committed to Jesus. That means we're submitting to him completely for life. We don't pick and choose because he knows best. This means we do sacrifice a lot of the ungodly parts of us, the ungodly desires for his. This is not complicated. It's his way in every way. That's the first lesson from Joshua in winning those battles. And you know if you read it this week, there were some who didn't follow what God said, and it backfired on them. Number two, God's way trusts Him with for the impossible. The Israelites—they were kind of like a, a bit of a ragtag group of people facing really advanced arm, armies and well-sorted, fortified cities and stuff like that. They really had no business winning these battles. But from any person's perspective, this was an impossible task. You know, there's this really, really good moment in one of the battles where when Israel was facing five armies coming against them. And Joshua prayed a really bold prayer. He asked for the sun to stand still and to enable them to complete that battle before the enemy could escape. And God answered. And I have no idea how God did that. I had to think about that. Because for the sun to stand still, we know that actually the earth stands still, right? I don't know how God did that. Thankfully, he's God. So we don't have to worry too much. But in Joshua 10, here's what it says. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. And I just wonder, I just wonder, how bold are our prayers? You know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like I hold back or we hold back because that's not that's just too much. I can't see God doing that. So I'll just pray this one that I can't see him doing. God, I'd like a car park right now. That seems possible, right? But look at this prayer from Joshua. I mean, come on. That's a bold prayer, isn't it? I just wonder how we pray for our families and how we pray for our ministries, how we pray for the church. How bold are our prayers? I confess, sometimes I pray bold prayers that I'm too scared to share with people because I'm worried they're going to mock me over them. Maybe I need to start praying them out loud with you guys as well. Okay. I think I got a deal. I just wonder if we sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. I read that somewhere. right, number three, we have a secret weapon. And it's not Jonathan Southwood. (laughs) God is with you. Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. How easily we forget the assurance we need to go forward and not only do what God has asked of us, but also the confidence. And remember, back in Hebrews, we were talking about how faith is kind of connected to the word confidence. The confidence to overcome, which comes from this promise. That was the secret weapon for Joshua and his battles. Does this apply to us today? Of course. In fact, it's one step better Here's what it says in Colossians chapter 1. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. That means something powerful for us, church. That means that all of these battles that that come before us, we're not fighting them in our strength. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Facing a battle. Someone's pointing out a blind spot. It hurts, I can run the other way, or I can go to God and say, I need to win this one, God, I need you. And he does. Before Joshua took on Jericho, here was God's reminder. In Joshua 6, the Lord said to him, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Before they lifted a finger, God had already won that battle. Many battles lie ahead of us, but never forget the big picture, the big war. That's, that one's won. That one is already won. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes, but Christ has already defeated sin and death. And now we're racing towards that final day when he returns and he ushers in a new heaven and a new earth. We already know the outcome. We already know the outcome of that war. That should give us confidence in our battles. Satan's going to be banished. We won't have to, we won't have to uh, you know, weep as we watch evil invade countries. There'll be a day when that will stop. Sin will be banished. banished. In the meantime, God is redeeming and restoring us out of our fear, out of bondage, and into that beautiful vision of a new life with him right here, right now. And my question is, will you take it or will you wander? So let's pray together. Lord, we we just glimpsed that beautiful vision that you have for your people. And you've provided the way. You did the impossible bits, Lord. But we still have to step over and, with your help, Lord, overcome So Lord, with that confidence and with trust in our hearts, I pray you just bring to mind now what's the battle, Lord, that you want us to to face with you? Starting with us, Lord, which part of me have I pulled back from? that you want to change. So we come to you now, Lord Jesus. We remember you said that your burden is light and your yoke is easy. This will not condemn us and defeat us, Lord. This will take us into new life with you. I pray that over your church today, Lord Jesus, as we continue to look to you, as we continue to look like you more and more every single day. Lord, where we haven't, forgive us. Where we're weak, you are strong. Lead us forward, God, we're following. This is a life of... Change of obedience of transformation and it's the best life God we want to step into that and take a hold I pray God that you will continue to show us your way Lord where we lack strength and courage uh, we pray you bring it Lord where we're not praying bold enough prayers show us Bold prayers in faith. I pray bold prayer right now for this church, God, that we would be the people you have called us to be. I pray, God, that we will make a difference in this neighborhood. I pray that we would be salt and light. I pray, Father, that many would come to faith in you, Lord Jesus, through your church. I pray, God, that many will be baptized, Father. I pray, God, that lives will change all around us, that we won't be able to keep up with them. Lord, we pray for the ones who have turned back to Egypt today. We know, God, you're waiting at the gate like the prodigal son, ready to embrace me again. We pray, God, you lead them back to you, Lord Jesus. Because they are loved by God and the people around them. Amen.